Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney, the host of How They Love Mary. And I know that this is a podcast and you can only hear me. But if you were to see me, especially at Mass on a given Sunday, if you were to catch a glance at my socks when I genuflected, you would notice that they are fun socks. If I am not wearing Packer game day socks, you can bet that I am wearing socks from Socks Religious. Socks Religious brings you socks with saints on them. I own St. John Paul II, St. Joseph that I like wearing on Wednesdays, St. Patrick I like wearing during ordinary time. I have the rosary socks. I like wearing those on Marian feast days. St. Nicholas wore that one for the Feast of St. Nick on December 6th. I love Socks Religious. They are the perfect gift for me, and they can be the perfect gift for someone in your life. I encourage you to find the link to Socks Religious in the show notes today and buy a pair of socks for yourself, for your family, or for your friends. And now, on with today's show. Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. And, you know, there are lots of different religious orders within our holy Catholic Church. We know of the Dominicans. We know of the Jesuits because of their universities. We know of the Franciscans. We know of so many different religious orders where I'm from in the Diocese of Green Bay. We have the Norbertines. Some some people are familiar with them. There are lots of different religious congregations, and some of them are kind of unknown, maybe you're unfamiliar with, never had exposure to, um, a community that comes to mind, the Marians of the Immaculate Conception. You might not think you know about them, but yet you do, because you've probably heard of Father Donald Calloway, or Father Michael Gately, or Father Chris Alar, Father Chris Alar having been a guest on the show a few months ago. So there are these religious congregations and orders and communities of religious life, and one of them, you might not even realize, runs a college called the University of Dayton, and that is the Society of Mary, also known as the Marianists. They were founded by Blessed William Shamanad, and today we are going to be speaking with Brother Andrew Kosmowski, who is going to share a little bit about the spirituality of the Marianist community, really introducing us, introducing so many of us to a new religious community, probably a a new blessed that you haven't heard of, kind of an unknown person, unless you study French school of spirituality and things like that. Uh, Brother Andrew Kosmowski is uh, working at the North American Center for Marianist Studies here in the United States, located in Dayton. And I actually had the opportunity to meet him in person back in 2018 when the Marological Society hosted their gathering in Dayton. And so he gave us a, a marvelous tour of the Marian Library at the University of Dayton and their library there. Also, back in the day, I used to be a godly counsel on the now defunct uh, EWTN show, Morning Glory. 
And uh, he was a guest on that show as well. And I remember asking questions of him, or he is friends with Gloria Purvis, who uh, was a co-host on that show. And I remember that that day when I interviewed him, when we interviewed him, it was about the rosary and the rosary collections that they had at the Marion Library and kind of the special ones. And it was a very fun conversation, probably during the month of October, if I had to take a guess. So all that said, welcome to How They Love Mary, Brother Andrew. Thank you for having me, Father Edward. Well, you know, so first of all, you when I say your name, you are Brother Andrew. You're not a priest. You're a brother in a religious community, and that's common. There are religious brothers uh, in the Franciscans or the Dominicans. Sometimes a brother is a person who is in process of formation uh, on their way to priesthood, and other times people take the permanent state of living as a brother in a religious community. And so maybe first of all, uh, as we get to meet you and before we learn about Blessed William Chaminade, maybe it would be good for us to say, well, why did you choose the Marianist community? How did you find them? Why are you a brother? All of which are good questions. Um, so let's start with how I found the Society of Mary. Um, so I was just out of college. I was working at a place called Nature's Classroom, which is an outdoor education facility program. They've got sites throughout New England and New York. Um, and I was just moved by the readings of that liturgical cycle on the Sundays. Um, I would, it's, they were kind of that theme of the labor is great, but the laborers are few. You know, the harvest is great, the laborers are few. Though I would tell you that reading ever came up, but they were all in that vein. Um, the parish I was attending mass that had that vocation chalice that they passed on from family to family. Um, and so when I went there again after the summer, um, they had that Division Vocation magazine that the National Religious Vocation Conference puts out, and I found that very helpful. Um, and then I found the Marianists. They, at that time, had four provinces on the same vocation information, and so they that spoke to me. Unlike the Dominican provinces or the Jesuit provinces, where they were all having their own little blurb advertisement in the magazine. This was all for coming together in a common effort. Um, when I learned more about the Marianists, they taught and I was, they have schools and I had teaching fields. Um, they were, they have an environmental education center right here on the property where I live and work on. And I was doing that type of work. So it all kind of was making some sense. And I was also attracted most importantly to those orders which had Mary in the name. Hmm. So Let's talk about the Dominicans. They have a great Marian devotion. Mary's not in the name order of preachers. <laughs> so they did not make my list. Um, but groups like, like the Mercedarians I had thought about because I grew up in upstate New York and they had a parish like three or four towns away. So they were rather near for me to think of. I had done a retreat when I was in, in CCD for confirmation at their place. So it, it they were on the radar. Um, one, uh, another piece that attracted me to the Society of Mary was that there was that mixed composition, the phrase we intentionally use mixed composition, of brothers and priests with equal dignity, which is very unusual in the church. 
and a lot of religious congregations, if there's priests and brothers together, the priests outnumber the brothers on a large scale. And the priests automatically get the, the positions of leadership, whether it's community superior or provincial superior, superior general. Um, in my congregation, the brothers are two thirds worldwide and we can be the, pro the unit superior, whether that's the provincial superior or the regional superior. We can also be the community, the house director. And so th those pieces have stayed with me. Um, and frankly, I when it was time for to prepare for perpetual vows and write that letter to the provincial, I had no desire for priesthood. And that would be an injustice to the brothers and to me if I were to go to seminary when I had zero desire. Sure. So um, you had a strong Marian devotion then. It seems that you were attracted to orders that had Mary in their name and, of course, the Society mm -hmm. of Mary uh, being under Mary's protection, having a large role in the Mariological community, etc. Um, what about your Marian devotion growing up? How was that formed? Um, I, this will be a funny story. Um, my grandmothers were much more the, had the greater devotion to Mary, I would say, than I did when I was growing up. And I say that because the Thanksgiving time 2001, when I was really seriously looking at religious life and looking at orders, my father's mother sent me a card from the Marianist mission, which is the fundraising arm for our mission work. Okay. Um, that was the year my mother's mother died, and I got her Marian Missal, which contained my confirmation photos, and was written by a superior general of the Marianists. Okay. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm, this is strange, but I'll go. <laughs> and that was the... Beginning of your Marian devotion and finding the Society of Marian. The Society was founded by a blessed named William Chaminade. And so what could you share about your order's history and their founder? So I'll talk about the three different people, because we as Marianists see us as part of a greater family, the Marianist family, um, with four sections but first, let's start with William Joseph Chaminade. Um, he was born in 1791 in Perigueux, France, and he died in 1850 in Bordeaux. Um, so he lived a long time for someone of that age. Mm -hmm. um, he is the 14th of 15 children. Um, while he was a child, he suffered a significant foot injury, kept him from walking. And then if he was walking, he was in a lot of pain and with a limp. So he traveled to the shrine of Our Lady of Verdelay, which is near Bordeaux, um, and had a miracle and was able to walk from then on. Oh, wow. So and, Mary played a very important role in his life, uh, the mm -hmm. Mediatrix of Grace, obtaining this healing for him. Mm -hmm. And if you go to the shrine of Verdelay, you can actually find the ex voto in giving thanks for the miracle from him. Oh, wow. Um, and ex votos, depending on where you're at, will look differently. Like if you 
go to Our Lady of Guadalupe's in Mexico City, a lot of times they're the little leg for a leg injury that's healed or an eye for an eye injury or something like that. In Verdelay, they're actual marble slabs with that are carved out in, in Thanksgiving. Wow. So he had this in childhood. Um, he was ordained in 1785, um, but anyone who has a little inkling of their European history knows that four years later, the French Revolution happened. And the priests, or there were two types of priests. There were the juring priests and the non-juring priests. The juring priests agreed freely or not so freely to France's position of having them sever ties to the Vatican. Um, Father Chaminade was not a juring priest. So he went into a very successful underground ministry in keeping faith and helping people and hiding. Um, there is one story out there that they, could, they couldn't hide him enough. Um, and so the washing woman flipped him under the basket, the big washing tub, and the soldiers came in and she had the audacity to play cards with them and serve wine to them and using the uh, the bottom of this tub as a table, and Shamanad all the while is under it. <laughs> um, and then there's a second story that he they couldn't even shove him into a closet. So he's painfully obvious, Shamanad. I'm standing here high, um, not in cassock or other clerical attire. Um, but the soldiers came in, nothing happened. They left. And the people are going, well, why didn't they take him? And there was a child, maybe three, maybe five, who said that there's a, a beautiful lady who blocked him from their view. And no one else saw this, this lady. So probably a Marian apparition. Sure. But as I said, he had a successful underground ministry that at the time when the first round of exiles was ending and they were coming back, Another round of exile happened, um, and those priests who fled the first persecution were ordered to leave Spain again. Chaminade, who did not leave France, was likewise ordered to leave. And that, that tells you how successful his underground ministry was if they thought he left when he remained. He arrived in Saragossa, where his brother, a Jesuit priest, was in exile on the 11th of October in 1797. Um, October 12th is the feast of Our Lady of the Pillar in Saragossa. So this was their big vigil. So they've got the fiesta going already, the parades, the processions. Um, so he spent, he could not engage in priestly ministry other than probably hearing confessions and, and giving the sacrament of the sick. That was the way the Archbishop of Saragossa made the decision with the French refugees in the diocese. But he prayed a lot at the Basilica. And that's where his inspiration came to re-Christianize France. In 1800, he returns. He returns back to Bordeaux. He establishes lay sodalities that disregarded the normal boundaries of the lay sodalities at the time. So they're 
mixture of education level, mixture of age, mixture of class, men and women mixed together instead of the single sex sodalities that were previous. And by 1809, he had nearly a thousand sodalists under his direction. In 1817, a small group of male sodalists came up to him and asked him to, for help to create a religious order. And so from that came the Society of Mary. But it's a bit unusual because most religious families start with the men, then the women, and then the lay. Whereas the family, the Marian's family starts with the lay, the sisters in 1816, and then the brothers and priests in 1817. Wow. Okay. So, Shamanad's beatification was in 2000. He was beatified with such luminaries like Pope Pius IX, um, Abbot Marmion. Oh, sure. Columba. So, so and, and there's three others, but those are the two that I really remember off the top of my head. But you, you've got this great group of five coming out there. Were you present for his canonization or for his no, 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 I was not. I was just graduating college in 2000. You were not in the order yet. Okay. And I was not even aware the Marianists existed in 2000. Sure, sure. Now, um, so he founded the Marianists. He founded these lay groups, the the sisters. Now, what the the name of the woman isn't her name like Sister Adele or something like that? that yes, the Mother Adele de Bassett from Quillion. Okay, is a direct descendant of Saint King Louis. Okay, many generations removed, mind you, but there's a straight line. Um. So she's given credit for the being the founders of the Marianist Sisters. And she was beatified 2018, 2019. Oh, yeah, just recently. Very recently. Um, Do you think Blessed William Chaminade is going to be a, a saint of the church? Is there a devotion? Is there, you know, kind of a strong devotion to him that would lead to, to his being canonized with a miracle being obtained, etc.? We were close. Okay. We got very close to a miracle. Um, there was a woman, uh, Rachel Baumgartner, in St. Louis, who had this this great tumor growing. Um, and one advantage of Archbishop Burke is that he knows his canon law in and out. Um, and because the miracle happened in his diocese, our provincial was working with him and he was very great at making sure all the I's were dotted and the T's were crossed and the process was being followed properly. Um, but the, the appropriate body in the congregation of the saints, because she had taken some medicine, declined it as a miracle because it was, it, the potential existed that the medicine was the cure. So, While the medical okay. professionals consulted, challenged that. Um, so we, he's there. We've got some devotion going on. Sure. We've got people asking for miracles on his behalf. So it's so he's a strong intercessor. When we talk about saints like uh, or blessed, blessed William, blessed Adele, you know, with blessed Adele. Uh, Whenever I hear her name, uh, I always remember her name because of the Wisconsin apparition received by Adal Bryce in 1859. So, um, 
when are their feast days? Aren't they coming up here in January? Like, isn't that when you honor them? Yes. Remember so, them? Adele's feast is January 10th. Okay. And Sha- and William Joseph Chaminade's feast day is the 22nd of January. Okay. So while you, as a diocesan priest, might be donning purple on that day, as, as per the, the liturgical request of the bishops here in the United oh, States. Oh, yeah, yeah. For, for, because that's, yep. that's in, and, and, and prayer and remorse for the decision on Roe v. Wade. We are wearing white and having a grand celebration because it's our Founders' Feast Day. Sure. And we could ask their intercession for the uh, pro-life movement here uh, in the United States as well. So... Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Well, that's a little bit about Blessed William Shamnad, how he created this community of, of brothers and fathers as we know them today and as they continue to live and serve in the world. Now, when a founder begins a community, typically they have some sort of charism. They're known for something. The order of mm-hmm. preachers, they're known for preaching. The Franciscans are known for their radical poverty. The Jesuits for higher education. What about the Marianists? What would be the hallmarks of your religious community? So the main goal of creating the sodalities and then the sisters and the brothers was to re-Christianize France with the goal being within community. So it wasn't just catechesis at the parish school. It was very much like the Comunidades de Base, as we might hear in Latin America, um, that or the, 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 the parish groups of faith that my, some parishes might have up here. Um, so we've entered schools so that way the school could serve as a vehicle to be that community of faith. So we would teach the students the faith and then they would go back home and teach their parents the faith. So we go from one community to another community building the faith because remember that in the aftermath of the french revolution catechesis was non-existent might be charitable sure so so that was the main reason for us entering schools that were well that were known for um throughout throughout the world whether it's in africa or asia europe or the americas Now, some would say that even right now, our world, our country would need to be re-Christianized. So how can we look to Blessed William Chaminade to uh, inspire that? I would pose this question. We've got, I think as as a diocesan priest, you might get the question a lot. Father, can you help us do X? Can you help us do Y? Can you help us do Z as starting various faith groups in the parish? And your time is limited. It really is a limited resource for the parish because you've got to eat. You've got to sleep. You've got to administer the sacraments. Sometimes I don't eat a lot and I don't sleep a lot. Ask anyone that knows me. (laughs) Well, most people like eight hours of sleep. So a third third of our life is dedicated to sleeping. (laughs) Um, but it's more, I can't, a diocesan priest just can't do all the demands that, that the faithful want, but sometimes it's a matter of getting the, getting you as the faithful now to step up and say, you know what, Father, I'd like to start a group, uh, a, a sharing, a faith sharing group. Could we use the facilities and 
I'll just lead it with everyone and you can just come and go as you please. Yeah. Wouldn't you as a priest just kind of appreciate that? Actually, we do have something like that, a little community of faith in a sense, like uh, a network of friends or acquaintances. Mm-hmm. They started gathering during the summer outside in somebody's garage or whatever because of COVID, all that stuff. And they started doing a Bible study and they continued to do it. And now they're gathering in the uh, here at the parish. So I have, I'm very hands off with it. I don't oversee it. I personally don't even view it as an a function of the church. I I believe that it's a kind of an independent thing, but that's them taking their faith that they've received from the parish and saying, this is how we're going to live it within our community and mm-hmm. how we're going to gather for prayer and for reflection and learning. So that's kind of my own approach to it. So um, yeah, I, I think that's a, a, a wonderful uh, way. And of course, uh, we because Blessed William Shaman, that was his vision to re-Christianize France. Well, of course, we turn to prayer, and maybe that's one way. You know, I always think that certain saints, we ask them for certain prayers, and maybe that's one way we turn to Blessed William Shaman and say, well, help to re-Christianize our community, our families, um, just asking his help. And, you know, I think there's something within the community that that you belong to, kind of what you offer to those on the outside, is that there's something about the system of virtues um, that is part of a, a Catholic heritage curricula. And um, how can that kind of inform families, especially those with young people? And uh, maybe as a lot of schooling is being done at home, whether in conjunction with the school, or maybe people have chosen a homeschool, what does this system of virtues, what does that mean uh, for families today? So, first of all, the system of virtues is for everyone. It's not just a homeschooling thing, because the book they use, uh, Growing in the Virtues of Jesus, was written by Father Quentin Hackenworth, Marianist priest, still alive, still doing great things, and written for the entire Marianist family, especially the, the Marianist lay communities. But these are meant really so we can become that spectacle of saints that Shamanad wanted. And there's, there's three sets of them. There's preparation, purification, and consummation. And all of these build on each other, and it's kind of like a spiral, how you go back and forth and back and forth and around and around. And you, you get something out each time you're reading the, the book. So part of it, of, of getting to know God well, is preparing yourself for that encounter. Um, we all say, we all want that encounter with God, but we're not necessarily always ready for it. Um, and so part of this is, how do I know my relationship with God? So if we're talking about saints, such as St. John the Baptist, where he says he must increase and I must decrease, which might be Sunday's reading, um, or St. Paul, when he talks in the letters that he writes that it is not he, St. Paul, but Christ who lives within. So preparing just for that opening in our hearts for that. Part of preparation is discipline. And, and we don't like to talk about discipline here in the States. We just give it school, negative connotations. But discipline really means practice in this case. 
so when we talk about the discipline of prayer, it's, am I showing up for prayer? Do, if, if I say I'm going to have a daily rosary, am I praying that rosary daily? It may not be fruitful, meaning maybe I didn't feel God's presence, but the fruit is in the discipline, in the practice of it, and going every day, because sometimes that rosary will get, lead to a new profound. And Father Shamanad had the five silences to help with discipline. And, the, and I remember these as wimps, like Christians aren't wimps. Um, so we have the silence of words, which is very much about word choice. And also, more than that, being thoughtful for the speech is, do I really need to say what I want to say? No, this would be a great thing for Twitter and Facebook if we just paused and said, no, I don't need to respond to that person. So I will choose not to respond to that person. That's virtue. Um, the, so that's the W. The I is imagination, which is asking us to order our fantasies and our daydreams to bring them into a life of Christ, or are they pushing us away? And, and this is kind of like when Christ talks about committing adultery in the heart, looking at that aspect of, am I, are my daydreams, my fantasies ordered in Christ? Not saying we can't have them, but how are we, what are we thinking of when we do that? The M is for my mind. How do I form my intellect? What am I reading? What am I consuming? Um, am I reading to better understand church teachings? Um, that type of question. And that doesn't mean we don't have time for leisure reading, that we can just read that book that we really don't want to admit we're reading. <laughs> but really, how are we forming our mind? Are we just reading encyclicals and theological texts, or are we going to read histories and biographies and science and, and, and good fiction to form us in, in the whole mind? Um, so it's, it's a question of, of that. Um, the P is passions, where are our emotions, are they moving us nearer to Christ or further from Christ? Is this consolation or desolation in Jesuit terms? Um, Father Shamanad was taught by Jesuits, so he's got this familiarity of tension of, of, of that. And then the S is signs. And this is body language. Am I showing that I'm not listening when I should be listening? Um, am I faking my enthusiasm? Am I obviously showing anger? Am I radiating joy? Those questions that come from the signs. So those five silences as a unit provide us the discipline to enter into that relationship. Um, also, we have recollection, which is look, being attentive to the task at hand. What are we doing now? Um, maybe if you're listening to this, you're vacuuming your floor and not attending to this, or you're attempting to do two things and not really successful at either of them. So giving 
the attention to the task at hand. Das, being docile to the Holy Spirit or obedient to the will of God is the goal of that is to be able to help people out of love and not out of selfishness, not out of the currency exchange of you do this, I'll do that. But really, I'm doing this and I don't expect anything from you. Um, and finally, supporting our mortifications, which is where we bear our wrongs, our injuries or our un or unpleasantnesses in life with grace and without complaint. So those are the virtues of preparation in a very nutshell. Once we've developed this habit of living in the virtues of preparation, we will slowly make a move into the virtues of purification. And there are six of them. The first is having a confidence in God. This is a knowledge that despite my limitations, I am still essential in evangelizing. I have a role in preaching Christ to others. A lack of this confidence in God can lead to a spiritual depression or a spiritual paralysis. The, I can't do it because I'm not God. How can I evangelize? I'm just a plumber. Well, why can't you evangelize because you're just a plumber? Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. It just, you can still do this. How do you treat, so how do I treat people in the apostolate, in the work? That's one way of evangelizing. A second part of this virtue is the distrust of self. Can I admit that I'm wrong? Can I take correction and grace? So those those two parts of distrusting the self, which is very related to the next virtue, the trust and counsel, where there, there are some situations I need help from other people. Sometimes I need help in getting advice for a big decision. Sometimes I need help in just, what, how do you, how would you go about building this thing uh, or doing this project? Because sometimes the, our mind just, we're told you have to do this and we have, I have no idea how to do this. Gaining in patience is another virtue, another virtue of purification, which allows us to endure that suffering that, and that irritation until the goal is needed, until the goal is reached, I'm sorry, which is different from perseverance, where perseverance gives us the strength to stay with the task at hand and not to quit. So the two are related, but they have two different aims. And then finally, the ability to resist temptation. So when we're tempted, first of all, we need to acknowledge we're tempted. Hmm. I think we, there's a lot of times we give in to sin because we're not acknowledging the temptation. And if we acknowledge the temptation, then we can renounce it very easily. Because I am owning my reaction to the temptation. Um, and, and temptations vary from person to person. As you, Father Edward, know, you have heard enough confessions to know that they're not the same from person to person. And that's a reflecting on how each of us are tempted 
to leave the way of Christ. And then the third set, this final set, is consummation, which is following Christ to the end. And there's four virtues here. So we've, we've, we've covered a lot, Lots very of quickly. <laughs> yes. Um, the first one that we look at is humility, which is based on a continual thankfulness for every good which comes from God. Um, especially those times when we can't recognize the, God, the, the goodness of God in our lives. We have modesty, and in this case, modesty is not reflecting upon how we dress, but it is a reminder that we don't boast, that we don't brag, that we don't brag about God's graces in our life, and we don't boast about the good we do. We do it because we know our reward will be in heaven. which helps us to develop the abnegation of self, which is the third of these four virtues, which reminds us that we don't need to be recognized for the good we do. And then final, finally is the detachment from our possessions. So this can help us to, excuse me, this will help us in a special way to fulfill our mission of being evangelists and of becoming a spectacle of saints. This is not to say, if our house burns down, we can't grieve. But this is to say, the world isn't over because the house is burned down. Um, this is, I can walk away from everything because I have such a great trust in God. So that, in a very quick approach is the system of virtues that Chaminade, that Chaminade had developed and is key to Marianist formation um, and is has been taken on by the Catholic Heritage school, Homeschooling Curriculum. Well, it seems that what Blessed William Chaminade teaches is not something that's exclusively just for the order. It's it's something for all of us. That that really it's it's kind of a program of life. And there are these spiritual eternal truths that we come to realize that confidence in God or how we resist temptation or you know these are a part of any program of spirituality. And so uh, I think that he offers a great depth there for us, especially as we continue to live our lives right now and trying to grow in virtue, and to uh, rid ourselves of vice. Yes. And then it's a real gift to the church, but it's just unfortunate that it, it seems a lot of, because we're a small order, we don't get the large interactions that a lot of other spiritual practices got. Like a lot of folks have heard of the Ignatian retreat. Yes. But a lot of folks don't have 30 days to give to one. For sure. Yeah, I think one of the things is is we begin to immerse ourselves in all these different things in the Catholic world. And so we kind of are eclectic. We take what it is that informs our spiritual life and how, you know, if we encounter this teaching, well, then how is this 
leading me into a deeper encounter with God? Is this something that I want to take on? Is this something that's helpful to me? And so we kind of just become very informed in how we live our own spirituality. Yes, yes. Um, And the understanding that the spiritual practice that helps person A, develop a relationship with Christ may never help person B. So this is just one more tool in the kit. Definitely. And that's why we look to the saints. They can give us, as you just said, that analogy of the tools in our toolbox uh, that they can help us. And that's why we study the lives of the saints. That's, you know, I think it's wonderful that throughout the year we have so many saints. Now, Blessed William Chaminade is not on the universal calendar. So mm-hmm. me and my parish, as you mentioned earlier, I'm not going to be celebrating the Feast of Blessed William Chaminade, but that doesn't mean that I can't still be informed by him. That Correct. doesn't mean that I can't read his writings. And, you know, we talked with... Uh, the sister behind the Inchelo at Terra book. And I'd be interested to see if she included William Chaminade on the 22nd. You know, I don't have the book in front of me, so I can't look at it. But that's a beautiful book, the Inchelo at Terra, because it exposes us to the lives and to the teachings and kind of to the practices of so many different saints. And, you know, this, the whole premise of this podcast, How They Love Mary, was to was because of my study of different holy individuals and their devotion to Mary. And how was it that they loved Mary? How can that inform us in our love for Mary as well? And so I began to realize that when I studied, you know, Solanus Casey or when I studied Mother Angelica, well, maybe there was something there that I said, well, I want to incorporate that into my own spiritual life. Oh, I've never thought about it like that. That's why we need people like Blessed William Chaminade in our life. Indeed, indeed. And and that's why we have Blessed Adele de Bastogne Collion. And that's why we have their third collaborator, Trust de la Marousse. Just this, how I think, in some ways, working as a team, they showed the community going on. Um, and we have the community going on. And one of the gifts of, of the Marianist family is the system of virtues that is really well done in community. I've known a lot about the Society of Mary for a long time, and so I'm very grateful that you shared a lot today about Blessed William Chaminade, about Blessed Adele. It's just really been enlightening to see and to see their teachings and to also realize how relevant they are still for today and how we need these saintly witnesses and these saintly examples. Now, one of the things that I always do with guests as we conclude the show, How They Love Mary, is to build what I call their Marian profile, just a series of nine questions. It should be 10, but it's nine. Uh, nine questions about your own Marian devotion. And they're rapid fire, they're, um, but they, they lead to further conversation. But what I think too is it shows us that each person has a different Marian devotion, that not all Marian devotion is the same. So that's um, that, that's what I like about the Marian profile. So the very first question, and maybe there's a, a title like this in your community that you're going to say, but your favorite title of the Blessed Mother, one that you invoke more often in your prayer. My favorite title is Star of the Sea. It's um, a popular one. Yeah. Um, but we, be, because I'm a Marianist, I, I will call it, say that we do have a dedication to Our Lady of the Pillar, 
which may have been a bilocation or may have been the first apparition. I'm uncertain right. because Correct. Yeah. tradition doesn't t give us a date as to when the assumption happened. Sure. But tradition and scripture do guide us into some aspects of the life of St. James the Greater. I think that's the one on the 25th of July. Yeah, because it's the only one who is his only day. James Lester is paired with someone else. Um, yeah, so. so so the story of Our Lady of the Pillar is is that St. James was off evangelizing in Spain, becomes discouraged in his evangelical work, and then Our Lady appears to him to strengthen him in his task of evangelization. And um, uh, yeah, so whether or not uh, it was, as you said, a bilocation, was Mary still alive or was it the first apparition? I've heard that moniker, the first apparition of Our Lady, but um, you know, but I guess the bilocation can be an apparition. So uh, yeah, that's a it's a very interesting title and um, a, a, a great story about and, the Blessed Mother coming to the aid of people in need of help. Mm -hmm. And this statue is very very small um it's only maybe the slice of, it's the size of a slice of raw bacon wow so it's okay. a very small statue and that's often um, the case the, the basilica the basilica was shelled during the spanish civil war but the shells that they never went off so they defused the shells and then put the empty casings up on one of the pillars of the of the basilica. Yeah, that's often the case. There's lots of shrines throughout the world, like Notre Dame de Bon Secours in uh, in Montreal, or Notre Dame de Foix, or Our Lady of Scarpenhuvel. These uh, and uh, and the last two were in Belgium, but they're little statuettes, you know, that were in trees or were given in mm -hmm. devotion, and so so yeah. Sometimes these images of Our Lady that are miraculous are are very small now. So that's your favorite Marian title, Star of the Sea, Our Lady of the Pillar. The second question would be, how about a Marian sacramental? Do you carry one with you? Do you make use of one? Is there one that is your favorite? So I like to keep various things in my office. Like I've got a, a prayer card to Our Lady of the Pillar right next to my monitor right now. So for me, that's... That to sure. me is the greater, the better sacramental for me. Yeah. So an image there of Our Lady, that reminder of her presence, a maternal presence, especially with that devotion of your community. Now mm -hmm. there are lots of prayers to the Blessed Mother. They've been written by saints, by by people today. Um, is there a prayer to Mary that you have recourse to? That would be your favorite prayer to Mary. Um. Hmm. I really find myself more and more drawn to the Regina Chaley. Sure. Now, for me, it's always, you know, in terms of those antiphons in the, in the Liturgy of the Hours, I've always been drawn to the Alma Redemptoris Mater. I just think it exudes a beautiful theology uh, about who mm -hmm. Mary is. But, but yeah, so the Regina Chaley. And that is the prayer that replaces the Angelus during the Easter season. Now, lots of mm -hmm. people, when they pray the rosary, they find it sometimes they ask, you know, am I praying the rosary well? Am I engaging it? I don't understand it. It's monotonous, repetitive, etc. 
Is there anything that you've done in your own rosary praying that has helped you to pray the rosary better that you might offer as a tip? Um, so when I pray the rosary, I, I people are going to look at me like I'm strange right now, stranger than usual. And that's okay because they can't see me. Yes, they can only hear you. <laughs> um, but I find the rosary monotonous. I find it tedious. I find myself frustrated, especially in group recitation, because sometimes it goes, Holy Mary, Mother God, pray for sinners out the hour of death. Amen. Like, yeah, yeah, sure. Whereas I like to relish the words. I like yeah. to relish better understanding the scene. So what is in my mind, in my, in my fantasy of what this scene looks like? Um, so let's, let's talk about Christmas, shall we? Because we're still in the Christmas season. Um, at the birth of Christ. Am I seeing this from the eyes of a shepherd? From the eyes of Joseph or Mary? Am I seeing this from the sign of one of their family members? Or one of the villagers? Um, am I... Can I smell the animals? Can I feel the chill in the air? That, I find, has been very helpful in me not just praying with the rosary, but also praying with scripture. Not so much, let me get deep personal meaning out of it, but more, can I see, can I picture this? Can I see this? At what time of day is it? Can I feel the temperature? What am I smelling? Can I, is there a breeze? Is, are a whole lot of people trying to get into the manger that I'm feeling the press of the crowd? I mean, I know we've kind of forgotten what that feels like during this time. <laughs> um, but can I feel that press of the crowd if there's a major crowd? Um, am I breathing heavily because I just climbed a mountain? All of these questions for me just help me better see the scene and better envision the picture. So it may not be that, that theophany moment, as, but it's letting the imagination fill in the gaps that are not in Scripture and not doing it heretically. You mentioned, you know, praying the with Christmas, for example, praying that in the rosary. Now, there are lots of uh, different ways in which Mary comes to us in the sacred scriptures, and she speaks sometimes. We're introduced to her in the scriptures. The prophets talk about or prophesy about her. Is there a favorite Marian passage that resonates with you, something that she said that might move you? Cana. No doubt about it, where she says, do whatever he tells you. And when she says this, this isn't license for me to do whatever I want. But it's license to discern what is Jesus really telling me. I think we can get in trouble if we say, Cana, do whatever he tells you. And it's like, okay, I'll do whatever I want. But no, those folks didn't do whatever they wanted. Jesus said, just fill them with water. Why? This is such a random thing. If you think about it, why would they be filling these 55-gallon jars with water? This is random. They didn't, But they didn't ask questions. They went and they did it. So I think in that, it's how do I do whatever Christ tells me to do, which means I need to know Jesus so I can know what he's telling me. We talked about Our Lady of the Pillar, and that was a Marian apparition, we think, maybe a bilocation. 
there are lots of different apparitions to the Blessed Mother, some of them uh, happening more recently, uh, some of them very popular ones. Is there a favorite Marian apparition of yours? I really like Our Lady of the Pillar. Um, it's, it's, and it's not just Marianist here, but really giving support to the, those evangelists who are tired. When we look at Lourdes or Guadalupe or Fatima, we're not talking about frustrated catechists or frustrated evangelists. And James was probably feeling a little frustrated in, in seeing no fruit in Spain. So for me, there's that hope that even if I don't see the fruit of what I'm doing, it will bear fruit. There are shrines to the Blessed Mother beside Marian apparition sites to devotional titles of Our Lady. Um, is there a Marian shrine that you visited that has left an impression upon you? Oh, oh, oh I got to think this one through because I've been to quite a few. Sure. <laughs> um, I really find something refreshing about just the, the roadside shrines you stumble upon. Those bathtub Marys, if you would that they're just an expression of a familial faith. Like I remember where I, when I worked in one Catholic school out around the St. Louis area, the road to get there, there were eight to 10 statues of Mary and Joseph, many of which were under bathtubs. So it was just that refreshingness to see, okay, I, this is a, a family of faith that if, that I can, if I need something like my, tire blows out or my car crashes and I can call, knock on their door and they might let me use their phone or they might let me stay in their house until the tow truck comes or something like that. Yeah. You know, I do a lot of running, biking. I drive in the countryside. I travel. I do lots of road trips. And that's always something that always makes an impression upon me. Just the random statue of Mary uh, that you see, you know, in the middle of nowhere because that person has a devotion to her. So that's, that's a very good answer and a valid answer. There are lots of books about the Blessed Mother that people have written. Saints have written books about Mary. I'm sure Blessed William Shamnod has. Another uh, Society of Mary priest, Father Emile Nuber, has written some books about Mary. He's actually one of mine. Uh, yes, yep. So um, any books that you would recommend? Uh, any Marian book recommendation? Um, well, I can't resist, <laughs> um, especially for those who in this year of St. Joseph are looking at Father Calloway's consecration to St. Joseph. Um, he cites Father Shamanad's work multiple times. This is not just a one-off, but he's got at least 20, 20 citations of Father Shamanad. Um, so his Marian writings, which are a collection of, of two volumes that grab them both from his letters and from conferences and retreats that he's preached. Um, and they are available for purchase from the North American Center for Marianist Studies, NACMS.org. Um, but in addition to that, and I, I couldn't resist the plug, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but in addition to that, I, I think there's something to be said about devotional poetry that for, throughout the ages that just gets overlooked. I think that when we're looking for Mariological texts, we're looking for that sound Marian doctrine and 
then and things like that but sometimes we just want to increase our devotion um there's and there's poetry from the throughout the ages throughout the world that that are dedicated that's dedicated to the blessed virgin so so those types of things i think are helpful um i think mary in painting portraiture stained glass is very helpful in this front as well just appreciating mary from the the, the imagination and lastly uh, when you go to Mass on a Marian feast day, the Assumption, the Immaculate Conception, Mary, Mother of God, is there a Marian song that you are hoping to hear at Mass? But for me, it, it really depends. But my the first song I'm really liking right now, and I think it's because it is the year of Joseph, is Sing of Mary. When, at least in the second edition of Gather Comprehensive, where it's got Sing of Mary, Sing of Jesus, Sing of Joseph, and Glory to the Trinity, very built on the Holy Family, very traditional doxology at the end, giving praise to the Trinity. Um, I think, and it's not a lot of Mariology, but it's still sound in what it says because it's not heretical. Beautiful. That's your Marian profile. Those are the questions that introduce us to each person's own Marian devotion. And uh, a lot there, and some of it new, like Our Lady of the Pillar. We haven't talked about Our Lady of the Pillar on this show yet. So that was great. So happy to have learned more about Blessed William Shamanad and Blessed Adele and uh, the whole charism of the community and how it can really inform us in living our Christian life if people want to learn more about you, Brother Andrew, or the work of the Marianists, where can they do so online? As I said, the North American Center for Marianist Studies, N as in North, A as in American, C as in Center, M as in Marianist, Mary, and S as in study.org. We have a plethora of information about our founders, about our charism, about our spirituality. And we also have a bookstore. So if you're looking to grow in, in the, the virtues of Jesus or look at what Chaminade had to say about Joseph and Mary, we can help you there too. And you're also on Twitter, aren't you? I am on Twitter, my poor, horrible social media account, yes. But if you want random gifts, to come up to your random tweets, I can help you out there. <laughs> At B-R-O-A-J-K, Bro-A-J-K. Okay, that's great. Well, thanks so much for joining me today on this edition of How They Love Mary. I appreciate you following me on social media, the times which we've interacted, and I'm hoping that maybe uh, for my Wednesdays with St. Joseph, and maybe this is a good way to announce this to people, uh, if you've made it all the way here to the end, uh, Wednesdays with St. Joseph on my social media uh, public Facebook page at FR Edward Looney every Wednesday at noon central, the Angelus conversation and the litany of St. Joseph bringing on a guest each week to talk about that. I'm hoping maybe to reflect about blessed William Chaminade's devotion to St. Joseph in one of those episodes. So, uh, please check it out on Facebook. It's also on my YouTube channel, so go subscribe to YouTube, and you can find it there on the Wednesdays for Joseph or with Joseph playlist on YouTube. So until next time, Brother Andrew, thanks so much. 
You've been listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast and want to support the podcast, I'd encourage you to do so by becoming a member at Patreon. By supporting this podcast on Patreon, you will help to pay for the monthly fees associated with the podcast and the possibility of upgrading equipment and also putting money into advertising and promotion. If you like this podcast, I'd encourage you to share it with your family and friends. And please like it and review it on Apple Podcasts. Post about this podcast on your social media. And when you're on your social media, you can follow me, Father Edward Looney, at the handle at FR Edward Looney on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I can't wait to share another episode of How They Love Mary with you next time. So be sure to tune in then. Until then, let us remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless.